Well, this morning we're going to continue our series um, in the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you're just tuning in, we, we have this um, theme that we're walking ha- through the book. And this is actually my last sermon on this book. But it's the theme, Why Am I Here? That's what we are uh, focusing on. Or you could even ask this question, Where Am I Going? In the passage that we're going to look at this morning... We're going to read about the breakdown of the body and ultimately the silver cord that will be broken or severed. And our bodies will turn to dust and our spirits will return to the one who made us. That's what we're going to consider this morning. And you have to understand, of course, that this passage plays out all too often in our lives or in the lives of others. We will one day all reach this end. And it played out for me this week in this way. I had a a close friend whose father passed away just on Friday because of COVID complications. I've known this family for 40 years. Another gentleman I I got to know in a church, one of our sister churches in, in London, also passed away because of COVID complications. And this week, my my wife talked with a good friend over FaceTime as she was preparing to leave her home and enter into hospice care here in Hamilton. And I was thinking about all this this week and thinking more particularly, actually, about the conversations that you have with loved ones, if given the opportunity, uh, before they die. And the question I had, you know, what what characterizes these, these these conversations, like, What's the heart of these conversations? Well, what characterizes these conversations is reality. You do not waste words on things that are frivolous or inconsequential in these conversations before you say goodbye to a loved one. You talk about what's on your heart. You talk about memories and joys and and maybe even some plans. But as a Christian, as a Christian, we talk about the hope The hope we have in Jesus Christ, our hope in life and in death. Because you know, and and you must know, that nothing matters more in the face of death than the finished work of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, and his resurrection to life that gives us life, even eternal life. Question that needs to be addressed in these conversations ultimately is this Are you prepared to meet the one who formed you and created you when you close your eyes to this world and enter them, enter into the next? And we really need to get real about this because sin is real, because death is real. Because Jesus is real, because God wants us to get real, we're going to get real this morning. And so I named this sermon, Let's Get Real. So we're going to open our Bibles now under that theme, Let's Get Real, to the book of Ecclesiastes, which is right in the middle of the Bible. If you do not have a Bible, it will be up on the screen to follow along. And we're going to begin in chapter 11, verse 7, and go through 12, uh, 8. So let's begin in chapter 11, verse 7. There we read, Light is sweet. And it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. Let them remember the days of darkness that there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. You who are young, be happy while you are young. 
And let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever you, your eyes see. Uh, but know that for all of these things, God will bring you into judgment. So then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body for youth and vigor are meaningless. Chapter 12. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. When the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop. When the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim. When the doors to the streets are closed and the sounds of grinding fades. When people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. When people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets. When the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred. Then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. This is the word of the Lord. Let us come before the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, this is a heavy text. This is the conclusion of a, of a heavy book. And Lord, if it weren't for Christ, there would be no hope. Nothing to get us out of our chairs and excited about living when we read such desperate, even despairing words from Scripture. But we thank you that it's real. We thank you that you do not avoid reality in your word. And we thank you, Lord, that we can mine the truth of your word this morning in light of who Jesus is and in light of what Jesus has done for us. So bless us now, we pray. Fill us with your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. So my, my theme is let's get real. And there's three reality checks that we're going to um, consider this morning. The first reality check is, are you enjoying God's gift for you today? Are you enjoying God's good gift for you today? The second reality check is another question. Are you remembering him, your creator, today? We're going to look at that. And thirdly, are you prepared to close your eyes to this world to meet him on the other side? Three reality checks. Let's begin with the first one. Are you enjoying God's good gifts that he's given you today? Now, the teacher in this last chapter or two of Ecclesiastes, is, is addressing the breakdown or the dissolution of the body. And, and in a sense, he's speaking from a place of experience. He is, of course, not dead yet. But he is speaking as one who is aged, who is traveling that road towards the grave. But what's interesting, it should not be lost on us, that he's actually not speaking to fellow people who are in that same path with him. He's speaking to those who are not yet joining him, and those are the youth. He, he's calling out the youth to, to think about what's going to happen in the future. 
And then you ask this question, Pastor Ian, does this include me? Am I numbered amongst the youth at Mercy Church or if you're listening elsewhere? What's interesting that there's no definition given to what is youth. But it's generally the case that if your mobility and agility and aptitude and desire and taste and smell and hear are not encumbered by age, they're not slowing down, you could say, well, you're probably in that youth sector, you could say. I remember sitting in seminary, my aged professor made the comment that when you grow old, there's a growing disconnect between the mind and the mirror. It's like the body and the inner self begin to part company. You're watching right in front of you, your body break down. Others begin to see you as old or older, uh, but in your mind, you're just breaking 25. Now, if you're experiencing anything like that disconnect right now in your life, you're probably not in the category of youth. So that's going to help you this morning. But whatever the case, as the years pass, our bodies begin to break down and grow old in this world. And people, you understand, deal with this differently. Some in their old age live, you could say, under the shroud of death. They become cantankerous, they become joyless, they become bitter, they become intolerant, they become despairing people who don't want to be around other people. And I read somewhere that men, of course, men, of course, no, men are more prone to this than women. And so they make movies like Grumpy Old Men on account of that. Others say, you know, I'm going to defy my age and I'm going to face life backwards. I'm going to face life backing myself into the grave. And that is that they strive to be young forever, forever young. And in and, and our, and our society, our culture glorifies the youth on account of this push to be young. Anecdotally, I read that the global cosmetic industry that deals just with skin care was a whopping $140 billion last year. That's a lot of skin care. And it's an industry that's actually growing at a rate of 4% per year globally. Now, skin care is not wrong. Of course not. Look after your skin. But if it's a denial of the grave, then you need to turn around and face reality. And so there's two types of ways of dealing with death, the, the, the growing, becoming old, bitterness or denial. But Solomon here has another option for us, and that's what we're going to follow today. He presents another way to deal with the reality of aging and death. And he comes to the conclusion that the reality of our death does not equal despair. It shouldn't. But it does equal preparedness. And that's his whole book. Are you prepared for the end of the story? What he's doing here is really preparing the next generation of youth to know what to expect and then in light of what to expect to live the present life joyfully. How? How can the youth, how can people live this present life joyfully in light of the imminency, the imminent death that, that is looming? And here's the answer. By enjoying the gifts that God has given you while you can. So uh, what gifts? What am I going to enjoy? He begins in verse 7. Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. That's a gift. It's the gift of the sun. 
Someone said that it's the most precious gold that can be found on earth. You see, when the sun shines, it shines right into your heart. There's warmth there. And the Beatles sing, here comes the sun, do-do-do. Here comes the sun, and I say it's all right. And it is. But then he adds to this. In verse 9, he says, you know, um, you who are young, be happy while you are young. And let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. What's he saying? He's saying, while you can, live life to the fullest. Relish your youthful vigor. You don't know how good you have it until you've lost it. That's why youthfulness is lost on youth, because they don't realize how good they have it until it's gone. So follow your heart, and if there's something you like, pursue it. Live life now, because it's a gift given to you. That's what he's saying. And then finally, banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body. Or as the message, a translation of the Bible translates it this way, live footloose and fancy free. You can figure that out because you won't be here forever. So what's the teacher saying? Well, he's saying carpe diem, which means seize the day. Because the life you have is a gift from God, even though on this side of eternity, it's very, very short. It's, the translation here is meaningless. A better translation is vaporous. It's vaporous. It's like a breath. But he has taken great pains throughout the whole book. I'm not going to mention all the texts. I'm just going to read a few of them. To tell you and to remind you of the fact that you can take and you must, as a command, take joy from the things that God has given you in this life. Ecclesiastes 2 verse 24. 4 and 25, we read the following words. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, you can eat. For without him, you can eat or find. For without him, how can you eat? Or who can eat or find fulfillment or enjoyment? Sorry. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 19 says, Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, here's why this is a gift of God. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 7, So I commend the enjoyment of life because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. I think you get the picture. This is a reality check. Are you eating from the table of God's good blessing or are you drinking from the well of his abundant goodness today? Are you enjoying the gift of the sunrise as it tracks across the sun and enjoy a beautiful sunset? Are you enjoying the gift of smell, of taste, of seeing and feeling? Are you finding enjoyment in what God has given you today? But then you say, well, pastor, doesn't, doesn't the teacher drop the gauntlet on all this joy with these words in verse 9? But know that in all these things, God will bring you into judgment. It's like saying, enjoy your life, but watch out. Judgment day is just around the corner. I think there's something to be said for that reality that, you know, there is a God who will judge us. But there's more to this than that, and we're going to get to that first. This is an important verse 
in our understanding of how to live coram deo under, under, on, before the face of God under the sun. Because there is another sin here that God will bring into judgment. And it's the sin of not enjoying what God has given you. It's the sin of being, having an ungrateful heart. It's the sin of drinking deeply from the other wells, but not the well of abundance that God is giving you. It's, a, it's the sin of denying his blessings, the blessings even that he forged in a covenant with us. Let me explain this right from, right from the very beginning of time. See, our first parents, Adam and Eve, fell into sin when they were not happy with God, when they were not happy with what God supplied them in the Garden of Eden, and he supplied them with all their needs for human flourishing. No, they were soon captivated by the lie that God was withholding something from them, that God in some ways was miserly. So Satan captures this in, 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 in this question, he says, or this point in Genesis 3, verse 5. He says, God knows that if you eat this fruit, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The paradise of God that he had given Adam and Eve and the good gifts soon appeared to Adam and Eve as something of an insult. He was holding something back, and they put up with it no longer. So they ate the fruit because they thought they could become like God. They were ungrateful and proudful. You see, listen, young, young people and old, there's a way of looking at this world that sees the sun and the enjoyments of life as gifts from God to be received with thanks. And there's a way of looking at this world as if you have been slighted, as if God isn't that good, as if he has evil intent towards you, and in that place of looking at the gifts that God has given you with evil intent or evil eyesight, the seeds of bitterness grow in the greenhouse of your rebellion. You see, God commands us to find joy in the gifts he has given us because grumpiness and bitterness and ungratefulness is slighting God. It's sin. How do I know this? Well, Deuteronomy 28 it's a chapter in the Bible where God shares his blessings with God, his people. Say, if you follow me, here are the blessings, and there's abundant gifts going to be given them. But here are the curses if you disobey me. And he says in verse, verse 45 of chapter 28, he says, all these curses will come on you. And here's one reason for that. Because in verse 20, 47, he says, because you did not serve the Lord your God joyfully and gladly in the time of your prosperity. God is passionate about your joy. You see, if we're not grateful for his gifts, if we do not seize the day and enjoy the life God has given us, as short as it might be, we are sinning before him. But we're also sinning, now listen, we're also sinning if we take those good gifts and abuse them. Or if we take our lives and we tether ourselves to the ways of evil and spurn those good gifts with sin, and God will bring those into judgment as well. Let me, let me illustrate these two realities. So the one is you need to enjoy God's good gifts with a grateful heart, but don't use them to, or abuse them so that you actually spurn God's holy will. Uh, here, here's just one illustration. As a parent, if I was to give my son or my daughter a bush knife to carve wood sculptures maybe, or just to go out and enjoy 
cutting things in the bush. We as parents are delighted to see them do the things that we wanted to do with the gift, and they are excited about it, we're excited about it. What if they begin to turn that knife for other purposes, to threaten people's lives? The law comes down on them. They've turned a good gift into evil. And Paul captures this in 2 Timothy 2, verse 22. He says, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with all those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Guard these good gifts. You see, there is no ultimate joy then to be found in God's good gifts when we sacrifice them on the altar of our sinful passions. There is no ultimate joy when we take all the gifts that God has given us and we put them on the altar of our sinful passions. You're not enjoying his good gifts when you're full of guilt and shame because of your sin. You're not enjoying his good gifts if you're worried about being caught by the force of the law. You're not enjoying his good gifts when you are pursuing sexual pleasures outside God's will for marriage. Just as there's no joy in, growing, in, in, in contacting an STI because you're not walking in fidelity, an STI or a sexually transmitted disease or infection. You know that STI cases, or 50% of STI cases happen between the ages of 15 and 24. The sexual revolution boasted free sex and, and the stats boasted an unprecedented number of STIs. There's no joy there when we abuse God's good gifts. Now the freedom to enjoy God's good gifts in our youth is a freedom that can only be met when we're not given license to sin. That's why we have these words in front of us. You see, godly freedom is freedom from sin, not to sin. I'll say that again. It's a quote. Godly freedom is a freedom from sin, not to sin. Yes, there's grace for all of us who deny God's glory and abuse his good gifts as we turn to Christ in repentance. But that does not undermine the truth that we are to enjoy God's gifts right today within the boundaries of his holy will. That's reality check number one. Enjoying God's good gifts today within the boundaries of his holy will. Here's reality check number two. Are you remembering him, your creator, today? This may be the most popular verse in Ecclesiastes, especially for Christians. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Let me tell you what it means and let me tell you what I think it says. It means this. That you are to remember, that you are to meditate upon the one who fashioned you, who created you, who has given you these desires and this passion to live in this life and who is covenanting with you. You are to remember him. You are to let his word rivet your soul and you allow his spirit to guide you. You have to remember who he is. He is the sovereign Lord who loves you. Isaiah 43 says this to his people. He says, but this, but now know this. This is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. And so the question I have for you is, are, are you remembering the one who's claimed you or desires to claim you? 
You see, for some youth, forgetting God is not a deliberate action. It's just indifference. See, being a youth or being youthful and having youthful passions can be so intoxicating that it blinds our hearts and makes them passionless, passionless for Christ or for God. You see, Satan wants to captivate our youth with the things of this world at the cost of them remembering their creator. And God sends out his words. He sends out his preachers as instruments, as tools for him. He says, remember your creator in the days of your youth because it's a cosmic battle. Someone wants to captivate your soul and steal your your allegiance. It might be an act of indifference. But for some youth, it's a calculated act. I don't need God, they say. I have a life to live, dreams to fulfill, and God just seems to get in the way, like he did with our first parents in paradise. I am the master, they say, of my own destiny. But you know this to be a lie, especially if you have had any connection with, the, with Christ and his church. That because all the pleasures of this world cannot fill that hole in your heart that wants to be satisfied. The teacher has proven that to us already in chapter 2. That's hevel, that's vapor, that's, that's meaningless. So don't calculate that. Others say the day of remembering my creator is a future day. So I think I should remember him, but I'll do it when I have time. I, 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 you know, I have buried many young men and women in my missionary days back in Papua New Guinea who said to me, buy me tiny bell and I'll come below to Pastor Ian. They said to me, I will repent, Pastor, and I will return to worship one day. And I would say to them, it's today. They said, we will come back. I will come back, they said. And because of the ravages of AIDS and alcohol abuse and violence on the streets, those days of turning back never happened that I know of. And I buried them. My dear friends, you're not immortal. No, your life is but a breath that can soon be snatched away from you. Isaiah 40 verse 30 says, Even youth grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. And so the teacher says, Remember your Creator today. Because because soon the strength and the vigor of your youth will disappear. And what he does here is he kind of stretches out the path right in front of us to see what happens as you age and and, and grow old and meet your end. It's, it's, It's a path that he cuts right in front of the youth here, right in front of each one of us. And it's like the teacher wants us to take off our shoes for a moment and then walk in the shoes of the aged. And he's saying to you this morning, to each one of you, this is what it feels like to be old and approaching death. It's like a trailer of a movie. And here we met, are met in chapter 12 with some poignant poetry, some of the most poignant poetry in all of Scripture. Verse 2, he begins, I find no pleasure in them before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. These are the years, the twilight years of one's life. 
You, you read that in verse 2? And the clouds return after the rain. The clouds are supposed to dissipate because of the rain. But the clouds come after the rain. You know what this is? This is a picture of aging. That is waking up in the morning and believing your pain and your suffering will be over, but realizing it's not. You see, when you get older, you just can't bounce right back as you did as a youth. It doesn't happen that way. The clouds just keep rolling in, even after it rains. And, and the metaphor continues, and, and the metaphor is powerful. He says, the, there, there will be a day when the keepers of your house tremble. That is, that's said to be a picture of, of your legs that are not able to withhold or uphold the weight of your body anymore. They're too weak. And the strong men stoop. That your back gives way and your spine is curved. We call that scoliosis or something like that. And it says when the grinders cease because they are few, that grinding happens in your teeth. The teeth don't, are not doing their job anymore because there's just too few of them. They didn't have a lot of dental care back then. And those looking through the window grow dim. Those are the eyes that used to look so bright and beautiful are now looking dim because they can hardly see. When the door to the streets are closed, when the lips have trouble speaking or maybe aren't able to say anything anymore. When you rise up at the sounds of birds, but their sound is faint because you cannot hear them. And you fear heights and you fear falling and you fear ice and you fear going out and being alone. And the hair on your head turns white and the desire, the desire that you used to have to get up every morning to meet the day is long not stirred. And then people go to their eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. That is the trailer that some who are listening right now are living you say, Pastor, this is so depressing. I don't think it's the intent of the teacher here to depress us. It's the intent to prepare us. You need to brace yourself for these days. This is not uncharted territory. These are, this is a well-worn path. And so he says, remember him. Remember him where? Remember him in the recesses of your heart that you can be prepared for tomorrow. You know what they say about growing old is that, 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 that your memory of your youth are the strongest memories or the last memories to go in your mind when it begins to fail you. Do you know that? There's a beautiful quote by James Russell Miller, Miller here, a Presbyterian pastor who said, um, we are hanging up pictures on the walls of your hearts Sorry, that, that will be later, that quote. You're hanging up pictures on the walls of your heart that you shall have to look at when you sit in the shadows. How important then is to live pure and holy lives. Every day, listen, every day you live, you are hanging up pictures in the walls of your heart that you will look at when you sit in the shadows. How important then is it to live pure and holy lives? And as your pastor... I'm not alone, I don't think, when I say that the sins of my youth are the most regrettable and the most etched on the corridors of my heart. 
Maybe that's the same with you. And we're called to remember him now. And that brings me to my last reality check. We're, we're going to put it all on the table. Are you aware of your desperate need? Are you prepared to close your eyes to this world? Or you could say, are you aware of your desperate need for Christ today? You see, the teacher is stating the facts before us this morning, but he's not stating the solution. He's a teacher, but compared to Christ, he, as I said before, he's a substitute teacher. He doesn't have the full curriculum. He lived about a thousand years before Christ. Maybe that's why. But this is what he knows. He knows that one day the silver cord will be severed and the golden bowl, in verse 6, will be broken and the pitcher will be shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well and the dust will return to the ground it came from. That's your body. And the spirit will return to the God who gave it. But to him, this is meaningless. This is vaporous. Everything is meaningless. Everything is vaporous. The question that you have to ask this morning, and I'm going to ask you and myself, is how then shall we live? How, how then shall we live in view of this reality? Well, this is how we ought to live. We need to remember our Creator in the days of our youth and every day that follows our youth. But we also have to remember something else, that we have to remember that He came to this earth to become and be our Savior. You know, as a youth... Um, Jesus came to this earth as a baby, and, and as a youth, he grew up under, under Mary, of course, and Joseph, but his desire and will was to do the will of his father. He listened to his parents, but his heart was with his father in heaven. And, and we know that he grew in wisdom, and, and then he entered into full-time ministry, and Jesus, the Savior of this world came to deal with our burdens. And, and you see him walking the face of the earth, or in Israel at least, healing people who are sick, who are oppressed with demons, and, and, and overcoming death even for people. This is our Savior who walked on this earth. And then one day, one day, he walked the path that each one of us has to walk. It's the path through the corridor of death. And God, in the person of Jesus Christ, chose to walk that path for you and for me. He chose to meet the dissolution of his body, the breakdown of his body. He chose to end his life in death and experience the pain of death that is really unmatched in all of history. The pain incalculable as he hung on a tree, rejected from his father who sent him, and placed under his wrath because of our sin. He chose to, the kind of death, this kind of death for us, because God had said, the wages of sin is death, and Jesus says, I will pay those wages, whatever the cost to me. You see, our Savior took our sins, also our sins of our youth, our sins of indifference or practical atheism, our thankless hearts, our pride, our deception, 
our sexual immorality, our vulgarity, our arrogance, our contempt for others, our impatience, and 10,000 sins beside. And he paid for every last one of them. You could say he died in his youth to rescue us from the sins of our youth. And this we know, that by his death and by his resurrection, there is now life in his name. I will say to you this morning in no uncertain terms that if you do not know Jesus Christ and believe in him, I can provide you no hope for the inexorable, unstoppable, inescapable, relentless nature of death that faces you and me. I can provide you no hope. But if you desire to know Jesus, I have good news for you. Because in Christ, there is a way to move between the chapters of this life from vigor to weakness, from health to sickness, from light to darkness, from life to death. And that is putting your faith in the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, who says, if you believe in me, I will give you life, not only in, under the sun, but for all eternity. John 20, verse 30 says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written. These, the things that Jesus has done, even his resurrection, are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Our only hope in life and in death is Jesus Christ. And we need to get real with him today. Because he really did do this for you and for me. I love this quote now from James Russell Miller. It'll come back up again. It says, to have a peaceful and blessed ending to life, we must live it with Christ. There, there, there are no other options. Such a life grows brighter even to its close. The more earth, earth joys fail, the nearer and more satisfying do the comforts become. And for such a life, a life hid in Christ, the Savior of your soul, death has no terrors. My dear friends, how do you end your life well? Here it is. With Christ. I challenge you who are near death to call on him in the hour of your pain, to call on him in the darkness of your room, confess your sins and receive his grace of forgiveness. It's a free gift. Call out to him in the moment of your departure. He is with you. And as your eyes close to this world, they will open upon his face. I challenge the rest of you this morning who are far from that day, maybe, to remember him now as your creator, 
but also your Savior. And to, and to surrender your life to Him, regardless of your age and your vitality, your strength. Surrender every part of your life to Him. And He will be your rock. He will be your comfort. He will be your joy on your journey through the seasons of your life. Unto death do you part and you meet Him in glory. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Receive Him by faith. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank You. We thank you for the richness of your word. We thank you for the richness of your gospel. We thank you for Jesus. He was there at creation. The whole world, the whole universe was created through him. And then he became our savior who walked on this earth for us and died our death and has promised us eternal life to all who repent of their sins and receive him as Lord. Lord, fill us with hope. Fill us with the comfort of your love and the comfort of your presence by your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name.